Hello, this is Sarah McCaslin, and in this podcast, we're going to look at part two of Evangeline Booth. So, we're going to pick up where Evangeline gets sent to the United States. And here's what happens. Her brother, Ballington, had been made territorial commander of the U.S., and the Salvation Army would regularly move their officers to uh, different commands so they wouldn't get too comfortable in one place, so the people wouldn't get too attached to one leader, things like that. And this was a common practice like in the Methodist Church, which is where William Booth no doubt first encountered this practice. Well, it came time for Eva's brother Ballington to be sent to another uh, territory to work, and he wasn't going to have it. He felt like he truly understood the needs of the American people, and he didn't see why it was necessary for him to be moved, and so he refused. And when they told him that, when the uh, uh, Bramwell Booth and General Booth informed him that, you know, this is the way it's going to be, you're going to have to, you're going to have to uh, be willing to go somewhere else. Well, Ballington rebelled and started the Volunteers of America, which you may have heard of. So he broke off to form Volunteers of America, and General Booth's response was very simple. He sent a telegram that said, send Eva. So Evangeline Booth arrives in the United States. Her brother is holding a meeting with the Salvation Army, and he knows Eva is coming. And he knows that Eva has a very powerful stage presence and is very influential, and she can affect a group of people quite well. So he decides the best route is to lock Eva out. So he has all the all the doors locked after everyone is inside the building. Eva arrives and they won't let her in. So Eva, being Eva, not about to let a simple thing like a locked door stand in her way, goes around the corner and finds a fire escape, climbs up the fire escape, finds an unlocked window, comes through the unlocked window, and makes her way onto the platform. You can imagine Ballington's shock when his sister comes walking out onto the platform next to him. And um, she spoke to the people, and they achieved some kind of an agreement. Ballington would go on with the Volunteers of America. But then at the next meeting, people started to boo and hiss at Eva when she came out on the platform. So Eva went and got an American flag. And she wraps the American flag partway around herself and steps out and looks out at the crowd. And she said, boo and hiss at this, won't you? And they didn't. Now, just so you won't think that Eva was being rude to Americans, she eventually so fell in love with the United States that she became an American citizen, a United States citizen. So Eva was able to resolve this rather delicate situation rather amicably. So she got that resolved. They got a new territorial commander in charge of the United States, and Eva was sent to Canada. So, she was Territorial Commander of Canada from 1896 to 1904, and her first task was to find a house. Now, Eva loved animals, especially horses and dogs. She had quite a few dogs always with her. No doubt she was their pack leader. So, she had to find a house that would be big enough to hold her and her dogs and have a place for her horse. And the only place that she could find that was within budget was cheap because it was supposed to be haunted. Well, Eva's not going to let that bother her. Uh, They offer her a, I believe it was a one-year lease, 
And Eva knew that she would most likely be in Canada for more than a year. And so she talked him into signing a two-year lease, at least two-year lease. And her reasoning was this. If she lives in the house and the ghosts stop manifesting, and then the house becomes valuable again, and then they can raise the rent on her the following year. So she signed a two-year lease at that price. So Eva and her dogs and her horse, they move in, and Eva has enough of the Lord about her that whatever was manifesting in that house stops, and it never is a problem again. Well, when it was time for Eva to be reassigned again, she was sent to the United States. Uh, And she liked the U.S., like I mentioned, so much that she did become a United States citizen. And she continued her usual work schedule when she came to the U.S., And Eva's usual work schedule was work, 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 work until she's absolutely exhausted and cannot move and take a few days off and work, 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 work again. And she was so, so drawn to work that um, the best way that she found to actually take a few days vacation was to get a very small houseboat and then go stay in that houseboat for a few days, and she could get exercise by swimming and all of that, and she could be cut off from everything that was uh, making demands on her mind and demands on her time. And she worked very, very hard her entire life. Now, her free time. This is something that's kind of fun to talk about. If you do a search for Evangeline Booth, you're going to find pictures of Eva and her dogs, lots of dogs. One of my favorite pictures shows her during, it looks like a Salvation Army march, and she has uh, stopped to pet somebody's dog. There's a picture of her with her, uh, posed with her dog when she was quite young, then pictures of her with a German shepherd when she was older. And she absolutely loved dogs, and she loved horses. And she tried to make sure there was a way she could ride her horse to work because she enjoyed it so much and didn't have much free time. And the other way that Evangeline loved to spend her free time was swimming. So if you do a, ever do a search on her, you'll find pictures of her uh, on horseback. You'll find pictures of her grooming her horse. You'll find pictures of her with dogs. And you know what? If dogs trust a person and like a person, that tells you an awful lot about that person. Well, when Eva's father, General Booth, died, um, the command was turned over to her brother Bramwell. Um, That was who was next in line for the position. And Bramwell inherited the post of general, basically. Um, His dad saw no one else that he felt would be able to take over like Bramwell would. Okay, so then Bramwell gets control, and people don't necessarily like Bramwell all that much, but they, they follow his leadership, and they do feel like he was a good one to, to follow his father. But um, then it came time for Bramwell to retire, and Bramwell wanted to choose who would be his successor. However, William Booth had made arrangements to how can I put this, Um, have the Salvation Army leadership vote on who would be the next general. Um, Some of his good friends had spoken with him and said, well, uh, General Booth, after you're gone, what if whoever takes your, your place, what if they backslide or what if they have something wrong with them where their judgment is impaired? 
And they talked to him about it and told him that uh, if he truly trusted his leadership, then it would be safer to put that choice in the hands of leadership. So that's what William Booth did. Bramwell tried to fight that in court and actually went. the Salvation Army went to court to make sure that William Booth's wishes, which he had filled out the correct legal paperwork to make that happen, to make sure those wishes were followed. So, um, Bramwell, he lost the case. He was not able to succeed in appointing his own successor, and he had already suffered a nervous breakdown, and his health was bad, and that was just kind of the final blow for him. He was became very weak and ill, and the Salvation Army voted on their next leader, and they elected uh, their next general. There were a few votes for Eva, but not very many uh, compared to the guy who won, but that's uh, that's kind of pre-World War One, Eva Booth. Pre-World War One adventures of Eva Booth, let's say. Now, Eva was still continuing to work in the United States. And one of the things I really want to point out to you guys, and I really hope that you will, will listen to this part, is the kind of work that Eva spearheaded here in the U.S. for the Salvation Army to do. And I think it's a good reminder for us about what the Bible teaches on how we are to help the poor and how we are to care for others and how we're to be kind and generous. So she established hospitals for unwed mothers. Hospitals for unwed mothers, soup kitchens, emergency shelters, services to help out the unemployed. Now, I'm sure knowing how the Salvation Army works, this wasn't just giving them things to help them get by, which of course they did, but also helping them find work. Um, homes for aging adults. Now, isn't that neat? Um, prison work. This is work for uh, prisoners where they can make some money uh, and help towards their rehabilitation and homes for working women. And by working women, that was not a euphemism they were using for prostitutes. Uh, the Salvation Army didn't use euphemisms. They called things as they were. These would be homes for women that were unmarried, that were trying to uh, have a job, and they didn't want to live in a place where there could be uh, danger or where there could be temptation. So they would have homes for women that were working where they could live there and they didn't have to worry about being pestered by uh, the opposite sex or uh, there being danger. They were with other young women or older women, as the case may be, that were uh, in a similar position. And so this allowed uh, a lot of young women from the country to come into the city and find good work and stay safe, both physically and spiritually. So that's a, just a sampling of some of the programs that Eva spearheaded as the territorial commander of the United States. Now, another interesting thing, after the 1906 San Francisco earthquake, disaster relief became a major part of Salvation Army services. And again, that is thanks to the work of Evangeline Booth. Now, I call the other section pre-World War One. Some of the biggest impacts that Eva was able to have was during World War One. 
Eva was a force to be reckoned with, and when she decided that it would be a good idea to send some of the Salvation Army officers to the front lines of World War I to provide support to the troops, no one was able to talk her out of it. The only condition they had was that Eva stay in the United States. They wanted to make sure she didn't try to go too because she always wanted to be a part of what she was um, a part of what she was calling others to do. So they did several different things during World War One. Uh, the mail off the well. Let me just tell you, if you do a search, one of the cool pictures that you'll find is a panoramic shot of Salvation Army ambulance cars in France. So they were helping to treat the wounded. There was also one particular Salvation Army officer that would go out on the battlefield when the battle was over and would help look for any soldiers that weren't dead yet that were needing medical help. And he would help uh, make sure the soldiers that were dead had the information on them to identify them. And it said that he had horrible nightmares for the rest of his life from what he had seen in the battlefields of World War I and what he had seen in the front lines and in the trenches. And yet he said if he had it to do over again, he would. And so the men had certain work they were performing. They were helping with medical. They were helping with morale and support. And the women ended up getting nicknamed Donut Girls. Now, I don't know if you know anything about the Salvation Army Donut Girls, but it's a pretty cool story. Um, with the Donut Girls, uh, what it was is um, they were making donuts. Now, they couldn't make donuts like we have donuts today. They didn't have the materials for that, but they thought maybe if they could make donuts, it would help the soldiers, or the boys as they called them. It would help them feel a little taste of home out there in the horrors of the front lines and the horrors of battle. And this became a big hit. The guys loved those donuts. I can't remember. Um, I'm not sure I have it in my notes how many donuts they made. But they ended up making thousands of donuts a day. And the soldiers were so appreciative of it. And the um, females that were sent over, the young female officers that were sent over, not only did they make donuts, they made tea they helped soldiers with writing letters home. And here's another thing. Um, the soldiers would get paid, but there wasn't really anything for them to do with their money except buy alcohol, find prostitutes, or gamble. And none of those were very good for their spiritual health. And so the Salvation Army girls would hold their money for them. You know, they would take a certain amount for their necessities, and then the girls would hold their money for them and keep track of it for them so that they could have it when the war was over. It could be sent to their families, or whenever they needed it, they could get it. And so that was another big help. And one of the most touching photos that I found in connection with the Salvation Army in World War One is a soldier that his eyes are bandaged, no doubt, I would say no doubt exposed to gas uh, in the trenches. And he looks just pitiful. And there's a Salvation Army uh, girl, a donut girl, I guess you'd call it, that's standing there writing a letter for him, no doubt writing a letter home for him. So they would help the soldiers with writing letters. They'd supply them with paper and pencils. And the male officers there from the Salvation Army would work with the soldiers in order to uh, counsel them and pray with them and provide morale uh, boosting for them. Um, now, when they originally sent them, uh, sent the Salvation Army officers out, it was six men, three women, and a married couple. They from the first, first party of 11. 
and they were soon followed by another party of 11. Now, each, uh, each female officer accepted for war service was carefully screened by Evangeline herself. She wanted to make sure that the ladies they sent over there were not looking for a husband, weren't looking for adventure, weren't looking for romance, but were truly going to go over there to do God's work. And all the officers were carefully screened uh, also, but Eva handpicked the women. And there was not one hint of scandal ever associated with a Salvation Army lassie in France. Not one hint of scandal. Although there were lots of proposals that came to them from the soldiers and all of that, there was never any scandal. And another thing that uh, has been said about the Salvation Army is that their services were for the average soldier. It wasn't just for officers, but they were there for the average Joe, for G.I. Joe. You know, that's who they were there for, to help. Now, after the war, the Army's work was so appreciated that Eva was awarded the Distinguished Server... Sorry, got my words running together here. Eva was awarded the U.S. Army's Distinguished Service Medal for their work. Uh, she was awarded this by General Pershing himself. And after the war, the same soldiers that the Army had served so faithfully during the war came back to the United States and talked to Eva and said, what can we do to help the Salvation Army? And she said, well, we've got a lot of mortgages we need to pay off. And did you guys know those soldiers raised the funds to pay off the Salvation Army mortgages in the U.S.? They wanted to make sure that a service organization, a Christian service organization like the Salvation Army was going to stay here in the United States. And so they helped solidify the presence of the Salvation Army here in the United States. Now, I had mentioned earlier about how the Salvation Army was determined that they would elect their leadership, their general, uh, as William Booth had intended for it to take place. And so it came time to elect another general. And Eva was elected by an overwhelming number of votes. And Evangeline Booth became the third general of the Salvation Army and the first female general of the Salvation Army. By this time, Eva was about 70 years old. And the vote was almost unanimous. And so upon her election, Eva began to travel all over the world. No longer was she territorial commander of the U.S. And so she traveled and traveled and traveled on behalf of the Salvation Army. Now, one of my favorite stories about Eva takes place in World War II. Um, actually, probably pre-World War II. Hitler had gained control of Germany. He had uh, put a moratorium or he had forbidden churches and religious organizations to raise funds, saying that any funds they needed, they would receive from the German government, and which in, es in essence was basically strangling a lot of the religious organizations. So the Salvation Army got word that they would not be allowed to raise funds, and Eva knew that this was a way of forcing the Salvation Army out of Germany when perhaps their influence and their spirit was most needed. And so Eva sits down to write a letter. Who does Eva write a letter to? She writes it to Hitler. And she sent a strongly worded letter to him and informed him 
that if he wanted the Salvation Army's continued presence in Germany, he would have to allow them to raise funds. And then, this is the kicker, this is the cool part, she reminded him that the Salvation Army was much more powerful than he was. And you know that's true? The God behind the Salvation Army was far more powerful than Hitler. So she sends this letter off to Hitler. And the Salvation Army was allowed to continue to solicit for donations throughout Hitler's reign of terror. So Eva won. And basically, it was really the Lord that won. But, you know, that took a tremendous amount of courage to send that letter. And you might say, well, how could how could Hitler hurt Eva? Okay, Eva's uh, working in New York. She's general of the Salvation Army. She's working very late, which she has a tendency to do. And everyone else pretty much has gone home, except perhaps her se- or her secretary was there and the elevator man. And so the elevator man sends up word to the secretary, and he said, there's a few ladies here that want to see General Booth. And she tells Eva, and Eva says, oh, I'm just so tired. I'm just here trying to finish this up. Can they please come back tomorrow? And so the secretary relays the message to the elevator man. Elevator man tells the ladies, and he responds, and he says, These ladies, and they're awfully tall ladies, insist on seeing Eva now. Or, and they have a check with them, and Eva can't, the Salvation Army can't have it unless Eva sees them now. And Eva's like, okay, go ahead, uh, send them up. And the secretary sent word to the elevator man, and he was a little uncomfortable, and without anybody knowing it, he called the police. And the police show up, and when they show up, these two women pull out firearms. They pull out guns. Um, They didn't get a chance to fire. They were arrested, and they found out they um, they were actually men dressed as women, and they had evil purposes for trying to see Eva. So as you can see, it would not have been impossible for Hitler to have reached out and tried to harm Eva. Um, I would like to say that if I if I remember correctly, these individuals were tied in with the um, with the Nazi Party, but I cannot remember that for sure. But so Eva was susceptible to retaliation, but the Lord protected her, and the Lord kept the Salvation Army working in Hitler's Germany, which I think is a miracle in and of itself. Well, Eva retired in 1939. And that was when her tenure as general of the Salvation Army came to an end. And so uh, she was 74 years old at that time. And her retirement, however, didn't mean that she stopped working. She kept working. She continued to be in demand as a speaker and continued to raise money for the Salvation Army. And one time she was speaking and she was wrapping it up and she said, Now guys, I hate to ask for money, but y'all aren't really going to believe the who, that I'm Evangeline Booth if I don't ask for money for the Salvation Army. So Eva had spent a long life working, working, working very hard. Uh, and it's neat that she was able to do what she had felt in her heart when she was a young girl and she was looking at those uh, paintings by a Duray. And she had said that the Lord wanted her to give her life for the poor, for the unwanted, for the mistreated, 
for those that were victims of injustice, for those that were the outcast of society. Those were to be her people. Those were the ones that she was to live her life for. And that is exactly what Evangeline Booth succeeded in doing. And it's another example, too, of someone that was born again at such a young age, at the age of 10 years old, and made a strong commitment to God and lived her entire life by that commitment. There's no evidence that Eva ever backslid. There's no scandal associated with Eva. And so she got saved at 10 years old. And remember, guys, little kids can get saved, too. Children can have every bit as strong, powerful, and real and experienced with God. as any adult and I think Eva is an excellent excellent example of that well Eva was 84 years old when she passed away in her adopted country the United States and her death was attributed to arteriosclerosis which I believe is what we call hardening of the arteries which is kind of natural by the time you get to be 84 that you'll have some problems like that and she was buried in White Plains New York And so that's the story of Evangeline Booth. One of my favorite books for her is actually more of a young adult book. And it was, it's entitled, The Lady Was a General. And when my mother uh, was in hospice care and lay dying, I read that book out loud to her. And I would like to think that when she got to heaven, she got to meet Evangeline and tell her why I've just been reading about you. But I hope that you enjoyed this. I hope some part of it touched you. And I do hope that as you go on with your day that you do remember don't don't let the devil convince you otherwise little kids can have a real and powerful life-changing lasting experience in the lord and evangeline booth is proof of that thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed it